It's been two years since Catherine Hardwick's The Nativity Story rushed onto the silver screen. In less than 12 months, it went from being an idea kicking around in writer Mike Rich's head to premiering at the Vatican. The surprise success of Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ created a climate where suddenly Hollywood would, would consider making Bible films again. Keen to take advantage of this newly discovered, and some would say newly created audience, a quick release must have seemed like good business. It was unlikely that the revival of the biblical epic would last forever, so it was important that New Line got their film out before the passion buzz died down. And of course, given that the film had to be released at Christmas, the nativity story would have to be released in time for Christmas 2006, or give its competitors another year to get their film out in the meantime. The story of the nativity is one that is so well known and so central to Western culture that it's hard to believe that so few films have been made about it. Just one theatrically released English language feature film has been made about Jesus' birth since 1914. True, a few films have used it as a prologue to the adult life of Jesus, but its comparative absence among the superabundance of Christmas films is staggering. Yet, despite its uniqueness, it can't quite decide what kind of Bible film it wants to be. The title suggests a mythic retelling, perhaps aimed at the family, yet the early scenes have a gritty, realistic feel to them. Later on, though, the film morphs into the, a sort of road movie as Mary and Joseph get acquainted and start to appreciate one another. Then it changes gear yet again once the holy couple reaches Bethlehem. The last remaining vestiges of realism are swiftly ditched and out comes a touch of the Christmas magic. The light from the star shines through a hole in the roof and makes the coldest and dampest of caves suddenly seem warm and cosy. Finally, the film ends with the new family fleeing from Heaven, wrapping up the film as if it's the end of the first part of an action trilogy. It's not that there's anything particularly wrong with any of these different styles, it just leads to a very uneven film. It would have been far better to choose one style and stick with it throughout. For me, it's the gritty, realistic style that the movie opens with which serves the film's best. Catherine Hardwick has made a name for herself both as a production designer and as a director of realistic films about teenagers from poor families. Here, both talents blend together marvellously in the opening scenes. Nazareth is recreated more believably here than in any other Jesus film to date. Perhaps late 20th century scholarship's greatest contribution to our understanding of Jesus is the insight it has given us into the peasant world that Jesus was born into. Writers such as John Dominic Crossan have emphasised how ordinary people in the first century Galilee existed barely a whisker above poverty and destitution. The first half hour of this movie captures this brilliantly. As the camera weaves between the crumbling dwellings it takes in the dirt of peasant life. It's a world where people sell on their small surpluses to neighbours and are nearly always working at one small task or another, children as well as adults, where premature tax collection or failed harvests mean catastrophe. The fields are not full of post-agricultural revolution golden grain, but straggling plants seeking to work their way out of the mud. It's easy to see that this world would incubate a revolutionist dream, a fact underlined by the failed crucified zealots that are shockingly encountered. Not as something extraordinary, but as just as part of everyday life. Adding to that realism is the choice of Keisha Castle Hughes to play Jesus' mother, Mary. 
by far the most Semitic looking cinematic Madonna to date, Hughes took method acting to a whole new level when she became pregnant during production. But sadly, Hughes' performance is disappointing after her Oscar-nominated turn in 2002's Whale Rider. It's not a bad performance, but given Hardwick's track record of getting outstanding performances out of teenage stars, it promised so much more. But other performances are more impressive. C.R. in Hines adds plenty of menace as King Herod. Sean Toob as Mary's father encapsulates the weariness of peasant life. There's a heaviness to his every move. And... At Zachariah, Stanley Townsend creates one of the film's most touching scenes, despite being struck dumb for the majority of his screen time. But it's Oscar Isaac's performance that's most impressive, making Joseph the most interesting and compelling character. It's often been noted how difficult it is to portray good characters in an interesting manner, and Isaac has only the single personality trait, righteous, to go by. Yet he manages to not only embody this characteristic at the start of the film, but also to improve upon it as the picture progresses. In a way, this is a film about motherhood and fatherhood. We're showing three faithful mothers in Mary, her mother Anna and Elizabeth, and four fathers, two of whom are troubled by their grown-up children, whilst the other two have to wrestle with their impending and unexpected new fatherhood. Whilst the screenplay harmonises the emphasis on Joseph from Matthew's Gospel with the emphasis on Mary from Luke, the film is marginally more concerned with her story than his. Yet Isaac's performance makes Joseph the most interesting character. This becomes his story and his journey, whilst his evident desire for the teenage Mary is initially uncomfortable for us, there's never any suggestion that it's untoward. One of the best scenes in the film is when he has a dream about stoning Mary, only to be prevented from doing so by an angel. But the writing often fails to live up to this scene's promise. All too often, the dialogue seems forced, awkward or clunky. The use of Middle Eastern accents works well in many ways, but it only serves to highlight the weaknesses in the script. Elsewhere, it labours to prevent unnecessary, overly earnest factual background information, taking the viewer right out of the narrative flow, with such passages far more suited to an educational movie. Joseph's description of a shepherd's lifestyle, for example, sounds like it's addressed directly to the audience. He's meant to be talking to the daughter of a goat owner. And would a stargazing magi really talk to his colleague about the planet Jupiter, as if it was the first time they discussed it? Indeed, the Magi are surely the weakest aspect of the film. Played for inept comic effects, they only serve to give the film the kind of Christmassy schmaltz that the opening scenes work so hard to eradicate. It's enough to make me wish that the film had been based solely on St Luke. In fact, it does look rather like the film was based, in part, on another film about the Nativity, the Bible collection's Joseph of Nazareth. There are at least 12 strong similarities. A number of these similarities will be expected, particularly as there is a great deal of tradition about Mary's parents or the three wise men. The attempts at historical accuracy might even go some way to explaining why the same additional details about Herod are included, even though they require the true timescale to be compressed to accommodate this. Yet there are also a number of similarities which will be far less expected. When Mary first meets Elizabeth, her response is almost identical. Both films feature an awkward explanation about how engaged couples require a year's wait before marriage is completed. Likewise, in both films, Joseph checks that Mary hasn't been raped by a soldier, 
and both films show Joseph disapproving of how the temple is being run. But when the script already betrays the fact that it was written in a month, such coincidences grate a little. All of which is a shame, because overall the film is more good than bad. Just. The opening scenes flesh out the scant details in the New Testament to a wonderful degree, and the middle section brings us closer to Mary and Joseph than any other portrayal has managed. And even the Hallmark-esque finale is effective enough to ensure that, for many families, watching this film becomes a part of their Christmas tradition. That's all for this month, and indeed this year, there'll be another Jesus Films podcast in 2009. Thanks for listening.